Happy Thursday and welcome into Bet the Edge. Thank you to everyone watching us live on our NBC Sports Edge YouTube channel. Drew Densick and I'm Sarah Perlman with you. Awesome show today. Michael Sean Duger, who covers the Seahawks for The Athletic, is here. We'll break down if Seattle is due for a double-digit win total this season and if they're a sneaky pick to win the division. And Corey Parson with NBC Sports Edge is here to preview this weekend's college football slate with his two best bets. And we wrap up the show every single day with Edge of the Day. All that and so much more coming up right here on Bet the Edge, powered by PointsBet. And before we get to our guest, Drew, we got a lot to talk about. And with that, we start with the NFL. I've been waiting to get into this discussion for a long time, and it is finally here to discuss the Los Angeles Rams, one of the heaviest teams bet to win the Super Bowl. A lot of noise surrounding them after Matt Stafford joins Sean McVay's offense. They are the second favorite to win their division. And as I mentioned, um, not only favorite to win the Super Bowl in terms of betting count, but also their win totals at 10 and a half. You can get them at 15 to one to win the Super Bowl. And it seems like a lot of love is coming in on this Los Angeles Rams team. But the love is not coming from you nor myself. Let's talk about this team and your initial thoughts on on where the Rams stand for this season. Yeah. So, you know, we've been going through the alternate win totals this week. We've been picking through the best of them for edge of the day. At least I have. And yeah. I had the Rams under queued as one. But ultimately, I think it's worth it's worth putting in the front of the show, doing a little bit of back and forth and mm-hmm. talking about why I think the market is a little too high on the Rams. Cause really that's all that this is about is the, are, are the Rams properly rated by the betting market? And in my opinion, they are overrated and there are a couple of key reasons why let's talk about why they were successful last year. It really was the strength of their defense and all of the off season news really heavily focused around the Rams, uh, an upgraded quarterback. The switch from Goff to Stafford, a clear upgrade. I don't think anyone who has a pulse who's been handicapping football would say otherwise. The problem is the rest of the team, and really that conversation has obscured what qualifies as massive downgrades in both the coaching staff and the defensive personnel on this roster. And that can have, you know, that can absolutely you know, have some effect on how this team performs, considering that last year the strength of this team was their defense. Let's talk about some of the key losses. Of course, Sean McVay is still there. However, he loses his assistant head coach and the linebackers coach, Joe Barry. He goes to Green Mm -hmm. Bay as their defensive coordinator. He loses his defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, who goes to the L.A. Chargers as their head coach. He loses passing game coordinator Shane Waldron, who goes in, in division to the Seahawks to be their offensive coordinator. So, It's been a common theme throughout the last five years of teams coming and poaching the talent under McVay because what McVay is doing is so unique and so interesting. And at some point, this will catch up to him and he will have, uh, you know, a staff that really can't complement his strengths. And I'm worried about that specifically with this defense, because, yes, you have Aaron Donald, who is the best defensive player in the NFL. Yes, you have Jalen Ramsey, who is the best secondary piece in the NFL. But defense is a weak link system. And around those two guys, you have nine guys who will be taking meaningful snaps on every defensive down who have not been tested, who are at best replacement level. Uh, And I think there are definitely going to be ways that teams will find to attack this team on top of the fact that the NFC West in general is extremely competitive. It is going to be very, very tough. And yes, we haven't mentioned Stafford in the offense. They're going to be able to score points. Um, But realistically, I think, I see trouble on the horizon for this Rams team. And honestly, 
whether you take a crack at them in terms of betting against them with their win total or whether you save your powder and you bet against them early in this season when they're overrated is a decision you'll have to make. Currently, I'm not going to go as heavy on the under on the win total because I see opportunities week two, week three, week four, and week six where we can bet against these Rams as they're going to be at you know around a coin flip or, or a decent favorite against some teams uh, that uh, I said six, I meant week five. I don't, I don't like, I don't like the Giants. <laughs> I think, uh, I think the Colts, the Bucks, and the uh, Seahawks all, uh, all have realistic opportunities to get wins against this team, and those are all lined right around a coin flip. So, uh, you could be two and three heading into that game against the Giants, uh, and there is a soft middle of your schedule there with the Giants, um, Giants, Lions, and, and Texans. That's going to help you get your season back on track. But ultimately, I think the Seahawks and the Niners are going to be the two teams that are in the discussion at the end of the season to win the NFC West. 100% agreed. And we're showing right now your graphic that you create with advantage spots and, and so forth. If you're not watching us live, go back and look at the graphic. You're showing nine and a half wins implied. Of course, they're sitting at 10 and a half of points, but right now a full win higher. Not to mention you brought up so many good points. Probably the biggest, I think, being Brandon Staley, their defensive coordinator, leaving the Rams ranked fourth in DVOA last year. That's going to be so tough to repeat again this season. Not to mention they're facing, as you mentioned, a lot of tough passing offenses, a big difference difference in schedule from last year to this year. So I think there's a lot of regression coming from this team defensively. You could put up points with Sean McVay's dynamic offense, but ultimately they're in probably the best division in all of football. And we're going to get more into that division in just a little bit. We are in the middle of fantasy football drafting season. Be ready with the perfect companion, an NBC Sports Edge Plus subscription. Get draft guides, player projections, rankings, and more to gain an edge this season. If you type in the code SARAH15, you will get 15% off any annual subscription. And of course, code DREW15 will work as well. Do not wait. Get your subscription now because fantasy drafting will be heavy this weekend heavy next weekend. And if you expect to win your home league using the standard rankings from ESPN or Yahoo, I have bad news for you. Those rankings are awful. I went through them in detail yesterday. Oh my goodness. You absolutely should customize your rankings using the tools at NBC Sports Edge and uh, you will have a much better chance to win your league this year. Just well said. Well said. We'll leave it at that. We're going to talk some Seahawks. We're staying in the division that we've discussed. And for that, we bring in Sean, uh, Michael Sean Dugar, excuse me, who covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. And Michael Sean, thank you so much. We're really excited to have you and finally talk about this Seahawks team that we're fired up about, Drew and I. And we start with Shane Waldron, the new offensive coordinator. That's where I'd like to begin because last year at the beginning of the season, all we saw was let Russ cook. And a lot of us love to see that their offense was dynamic. He aired it out more than anyone. And he's been so impressive as a quarterback. Just look at what he's done with Russell, with Russell Wilson at QB. Seattle has never won fewer than nine games in a season. They've had uh, one double digit season in eight of his nine seasons there. So he's a winning quarterback. He's dynamic. And as we know, he's one of the best in the game, but ultimately with this new offense, there's been rumors it's going to be high tempo, which ultimately would be beneficial for Russell Wilson, who's sitting at 14 to one to win MVP. As you're at camp and watching this team, what does this offense look like? Are they going to be a more pass heavy offense? Will they let Russ cook again? Uh, I, I don't think so. Bad news for the let Russ cook fans. Uh, Russ was selling like uh, let Russ cook gear, uh, like kitchenware. 
uh, last year and then donating it to one of his uh, foundations, which I thought was kind of cool. He like trademarked it in October. It was kind of funny. Um, but the thing is about let Russ cook is Pete Carroll wasn't really down with that. Um, which is why things look different in the second half of the season. Why the offensive coordinator who had Russ cooking got fired. Um, cause you look at the Seahawks last year, what they were sixth in DVOA football outsiders, like per play efficiency make, uh, metric. That's pretty in an offense. I mean, that's pretty high. Like they, they were top 10, I think in all three years of Brian Schottenheimer calling the offense. They scored 28.3 points per game last year. I'm pretty sure that was higher than the Kansas city chiefs last year. So like the offense wasn't bad. It was actually very, very good. Dare to say it was elite. You know, 28.3 is really, really high. I mean, you are scoring a lot of points. And that's after regressing in the second half of the season. They were scoring so much uh, in the first half that they still finished with a crazy high point uh, points per game average. And the offensive coordinator still got fired. He didn't get a new job. Uh, he like a promotion. He got canned. Because it's not that the offense wasn't efficient or wasn't scoring points. It was it wasn't efficient in scoring points in a way that pleased the boss. And so that's Shane Waldron's job. And I'm not really sure how easy that is. I mean, look at what happened with Daryl Bevel in 2017. You know, that's a guy who won a Super Bowl with Pete Carroll. Russ led the league in touchdown passes in 2017. And they were really pass heavy, too, because the run game sucked. Got canned. Schottenheimer, three top 10 offenses by DVOA. Got canned. Right. So, like, the offense looks great now in practice. Shoddy's offenses look great in practice. Daryl Bevel's offenses look great in practice. Like, everything's kumbaya in August, you know, unless your quarterback's hurt. Um, so like everything seems fine now, but history tells us that, um, a you know, Pete Carroll fires the offensive coordinator. He regresses back to being run heavy after he fired Bevel. They were the run heaviest team in the league in 2018 by a large margin. Um, so that tells me that in 2021, after firing shoddy, the let Russ cook thing is dead. So if you bought that cookware from Russ, like hold on to it, it's, it's collector's gear. Uh, I'm upset. I might just go buy gear and wear it to every game. I might move to Seattle and start. It's for charity. So, I mean, it's for a good cause if you buy it regardless. It's got like silverware and stuff and aprons. I didn't buy any, but like, good, good for us. No, I think all that was well said. And honestly, if you are feeling bullish about the prospects of the Seahawks this year, you almost have to do it in spite of Pete Carroll, which sounds insane because he's the head coach. Like, I, like, I don't know that what his vision of how he wants this offense to look is what offense ought to look like in the year 2021 in the NFL. However, the fact that Shane Waldron is bringing some advanced concepts from the McVay's tree is intriguing to me. And also, I kind of want to blame a lot of the regression of the offense, not only on the teams that they played and the style of play in general over the last half of the season, but also the injuries to Tyler Lockett, I felt like, were hugely important. Russ really, really really relies on Lockett in turn in at, at times to move the chains throughout the, uh, um, you know, throughout the passing offense and hopefully with a healthy year from Lockett and another year of, uh, of development of, of uh, DK Metcalf, this, this does have, you know, a balanced uh, dynamic look to the offense in general. Um, I guess, do you get any sense that Shane Waldron is bringing offensive concepts that may op- unlock the running game for the Seahawks and may just keep Pete Carroll a little bit hands off when it comes to the offense in general? I mean, yeah, when you get a new job, your goal is to please your boss, right? Like, just, it doesn't really matter if you're an OC or, you know, you're in the mail room. Like, you're, you're, you're grabbing the hell out of that mail your first couple of weeks, maybe even your first year, you know, in, in the mail room. That's the same thing when you're OC, you know? Your coach wants you, your boss wants you to run the ball, you run the ball, right? They're going, they're going under center a lot more. That's something I picked up in practice. Uh, they haven't played, Russ hasn't played in any preseason games, so it's not something I can officially track and compare 
to his under center numbers in the past quite yet, but that's something I'll probably watch or find some site that tracks the, the, the analytics on that. So I'm not counting by hand all his under center snaps, but being under center a little bit more does make the uh, run game look different on about better. Uh, it just depends on your style of runner, but someone like Chris Carson, who's like really downhill, I imagine that that probably is better for him. Being under center is like really effective for the play action game. Uh, you see Aaron Rodgers um, and Matt LaFleur doing that uh, a lot. That was one of the changes it looks like they made in Green Bay, and Rodgers is just killing it. I think him and Tannehill are like two of the best play action quarterbacks in the league over the last um, couple of years. I mean, I think they both do a lot of that from under center and have you know really effective running backs that people fear. I think that that'll be part of it. Um, the defensive players on the team thus far, I, I actually trust their word a little bit more on the offense. Um, than the offensive players. It's weird for me to say that, but like the defensive players are only, well, if I ask them, hey, what do you think about the, the offense? They're only able to say what they've experienced, right? Whereas sure. if I ask Tyler Lockett, he might say what he knows the offense can be in its potential, like because he knows the whole playbook. Whereas like a linebacker is like, look, I just know they're going fast in practice and I'd be tired. And so I feel like a more genuine response. And all those guys are saying like it's faster. A lot of okay. quick, a lot of quick stuff. Uh, a lot of stick routes. They go empty formations a lot. Have a uh, running back split out wide, moving DK around a lot. He may be the the number three to the play side, or he may be the, the to the boundary to Russ's left, uh, isolated. Um, so like that. That's some of the the tips that we've gotten about what the offense will look like. So it will look different. I won't just say he's going to come in here and just try to do it shot he did or he can't change anything to have a good offense he's gonna look different but the ultimate goal is like to please the boss not just have a really good offense sure well the seahawks are going to play nine games against defenses that ranked in top 10 defensive epa last season so they certainly have their work cut out for them so maybe if you're looking at russell wilson to an mvp because he's a short favorite right now at 14 to 1 hold off see how this offense looks as they begin the season but talked about their defense a little bit evaluating their offense how does their defense look how is this defensive scheme and defensive you know solid team coming together so far Implementing Jamal Adams changes things right? because he is just so, so good and he's instinctual. Right? He reminds me of Earl Thomas in that way. They play different positions, even though they're both safeties. Earl, when he saw things, he just went. Right? He was so smart. He studied films so much that if he saw an alignment or a pre-snap check, whatever, he's like, oh, I got this. Right? He had such good communication with Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, that he could just go. And if he was wrong, they kind of knew how to you know adjust for that not all the time but they did um and if he was right like boom highlight play sports sports center so jamal's kind of similar you know i think when he sees something he's so damn fast that he just goes right boom now you got a sack now you got tfl um and you have to account for that because if he's wrong the other team might score you know he might give up a big play and i think we saw that a couple times last year i remember one in the cardinals game on thursday night football that looked like that uh, it looked like Jamal seeing something, and then boom, running backs open in the in the end zone in the flat. So, uh, you have to you have to have a lot of practice time with him, I think, especially uh, with your other guys in the secondary who know how to adjust. Um, but if they adjust to that, if they got Jamal down and wh- how great he is and how to play with him from the coaching staff to the Quandre Diggs, the free safety on the back end, I think we're probably looking at like a top twelve ish unit. If everyone stays healthy by, I would use football. EPA is good too. I probably use DVOA. You can combine them both. They're usually pretty, pretty similar by the end of the year. Um, if you get a big enough sample size. So yeah, I, I think that's going to be the case. Their pass rush, I think is going to be really good. I saw, I think like pro football focus had their D line rate like 29th or something like that. I was like, that's kind of low. 
um, for a team that was um, like first in sacks through the as soon as Jamal got back in the lineup last year and got Carlos Dunlap via trade, like they were the best pressuring team in the league. It was like them, the Steelers in New Orleans, I think, through the second half of last year. Um, so with all those guys back, with the exception of Jaron Reed, who's in Kansas City, um, I think the defensive line will be good. They'll have the best safety combo in the league and Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. Like it should be solid. It won't be probably be top ten ish. Uh, just because of the cornerback situation for right now, but they should be like an above average defense for sure. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. I, I you know, I, I, I've always, you know, we, I'm, I'm tough on Pete Carroll because I don't, I don't love his concepts or his vision really for how he wants the offense to run, but he has absolutely coached up the secondary throughout the years in a way that he's getting a better than expected performance out of replacement level guys. And this is a generally kind of a deep secondary, which is what you need if you're going to be in a division with as many offensive weapons as you are. Uh, and really, uh, you know, yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to compete in the playoffs against the likes of the bucks and the Packers, you better have guys that can cover. So uh, I think, uh, is it fair that the Seahawks right now are third choice to win the NFC West in your opinion at plus 275? I mean, that's a decent step down from the Rams and the uh, Niners right now who are both under plus 200. Uh, would you kind of put all three of those teams on the same tier or even Seahawks ahead of either of those teams? I'd probably put the Rams and the Seahawks in like one tier. Like you guys are 1A, 1B. And I think I would have the Niners like a step down um, just because, I mean, who the hell is going to be the Niners quarterback? That's like if you don't if you can't tell me who your quarterback is, uh, who's gonna who your quarterback is gonna be in week eighteen or whatever the final week of the season is now, then I can't have you ranked above teams who do know and have like competent quarterbacks. That's just the, <laughs> the basics of it for me. I think the Niners are gonna have a really good defense. I don't think it'll be the twenty nineteen unit again. Uh, that's just hard to replicate because defense mm -hmm. is kind of unstable from year to year. But um, I think they have a really good defense. Uh, I think their offense will be very good. Um, but I don't know who's going to be quarterbacking it. And that kind of – I can't put that over teams that, A, were better than them last year, um, are returning really good uh, offenses. You know, so – and, you know, the Rams upgraded the quarterback situation. And they won a playoff game with, like, John Wofford. Or I think that's his name. Like, that's hard. That's hard to do. That's impressive. So, that's, that's probably – and then I would have the Cardinals at the bottom. I don't really mm -hmm. trust what Cliff and Kyler have done. It seems like they got all these toys – and haven't used them right. And then in free agency, they just decided to assemble the best 2021 roster that 2015 cap space can buy. But they got the <laughs> best of the best from the 2011 class 10 years later. So I don't really know how that's supposed to work. Um, so that's kind of how I would break it down. I think it's going to come down to the Rams um, and, the, and the Seahawks at the end, if everyone's healthy. Because we got 17 games winning a championship is damn near a war of attrition at the end of the day. But we do know who has the best quarterback in that division. It is the team you cover with the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to get more into this team later on with Drew and I. But by the way, since 2010, Seattle has made the playoffs nine times, only missed the playoffs twice in 2011 and 2017. Drew will break down this team's win total in just a little bit. But listen, Mike, thank you so much. Good luck covering the team the rest of the season. We hope to chat with you soon. If you do not already, follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Dugar. He will have in-depth coverage of the Seahawks, of course, on The Athletic. We appreciate you listening to Bet the Edge. Wherever you may be listening, make sure to rate the podcast. Of course, sign up. We are giving you the most actionable information every single weekday in just about 30 minutes or less. And these lines move ridiculously fast. And we want to make sure you're gaining an edge with us here. Of course, you can also reach out to us on Twitter. We've gotten some awesome feedback the last couple of days. We will do everything we can to get back to you, although it's starting to I'm starting to get more and more DMs and I'm getting a little overwhelmed. That does not mean I don't want you to continue to reach out. So you can find me on Twitter at whale underscore capper and Sarah is available at Sarah Perlman.
People don't know that Drew has about 17 jobs, including handicapping every sport. So he's really busy. He will get back to you, though. I promise of you course. that. He'll get back of late course. in text, emails, or tweets, but he'll get back to you. All right, let's talk some college football. Week zero, baby. And for that, we welcome in Corey Parson, NBC Sports Edge's very own. Corey, as always, there's a few things I have to say. Don't love the Yankees hop, but kudos to your team doing well showing what they could be down the stretch. And we talk about college football weeks here, as I mentioned in the game that stands out as I look at the slate. And I know you've been posting a lot of college football analysis on NBCSportsEdge.com is Nebraska and Illinois. And right now, Nebraska is laying six and a half. That did come down from seven. And the total is at 55 and a half. I do keep in mind that last season, Nebraska lost to Illinois as a 16 and a half point favorite, maybe a little chip on their shoulder as we look ahead to this season. But ultimately money is coming in on Illinois right now at points that maybe because they're based there, maybe because they believe in the fighting Illini, but what is your take on Nebraska and Illinois in week zero college football? Well, first off, uh, good, good morning. And, and thank you very much, Sarah, for those kind words. And also to you to be able to get one this month as um very nice. But with that being said, let's talk about some college football. Now, this line originally was seven and a half. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with um, Illinois beating Nebraska last season. And I think as we get closer to the game day, that's why you're starting to see this money coming on the fighting Illini. But um, no, this is a trendy underdog right here by the way I look at it. Listen, Nebraska is not a good football team. Illinois is not nowhere near good. The problem with this is Scott Frost is in a situation where he needs to start getting some wins. You can't lose to this fighting Illini team yet again. So I'm going to lay the points with the, with the Nebraska Cornhuskers in this one. It's a part of me kind of feels like to hit it in running and catch a better number on the money line. But I do think Nebraska can, can, can hold off on this one and get the W and cover that number. So I'm going to be, I'm a latest six and a half. I think it's a perfect number. I think it's about a seven point victory to be honest with you. So I want to hop on this right now because this number is going to go back up to seven on game day. Ah, interesting. Okay. Here, real um, quick, I'd like yeah. to say Corey was making fun because the Orioles got one win last night, and I saw that little jab he took at me in case anyone listening said, what was Corey doing? Corey, I see you. That's okay. That's all good, Sarah. <laughs> Shout they're out streaking. to him. Hey, they're streaking. They are streaking. They are. This is um, top of the bandwagon. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> interesting. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned there has been a little bit of steam against Nebraska. There's been a lot of steam on this UTEP New Mexico State <laughs> game. If you had told me what's going to be the hottest side and the hottest total for week zero of college football, I do not think I would have guessed UTEP New Mexico State. Uh, but here we sit. UTEP is up to minus 10. New Mexico, the total is up to 59 and a half. Uh, this thing is getting hit hard. Uh, does, you know, these are not two teams that I would have expected could have scored 56 combined, but here we are looking at a, a massive amount of steam, uh, particularly this this speaks to UTEP is going to have an effective offense and, and really be able to dictate this game. If you look at the way the market is moving, does this make sense to you? Can you explain this? This is like a pump fake uh, to me. When I when I I, I had been checked this number over the summer, and when I saw it over the summer, I thought, like, "Well, this is the easy under." New Mexico State, we don't know what they are. They may not be able to score. Period. If I'm not mistaken. They didn't play last year, and then they may have lost to an FCS school in in, in spring. They may have had like two yards rushing in that game. So you're looking at a New Mexico State team that we really don't know nothing about. I'm not sure they can score. I'm not sure if Utah, UTEP hammers them to the point where they get 60 points by themselves. But this number was sitting at 54 and a half at one point. Now this number is shot all the way up to 59 and a half. 
I think this is a mistake. This is the easy under, in my opinion, right here. So I'm looking at the under in this one. If I had to play a side, obviously it would be the minors. But um, New Mexico State is going to have a tough season this year. But this looks like a pump fake. I would stay far away from this over right here. To me, it's an easy under, Drew. I, I, I was shocked because, like I said, this number was down probably maybe two weeks ago. This number was about 54 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I don't even know if two weeks ago. I think the like four days ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, is this a mistake? I thought it was a typo. <laughs> <laughs> it got hit hard by somebody and then people clearly followed suit, maybe because New Mexico State did give up 36 points a game last season on average. So thinking it'd be a high scoring affair, but 59 and a half and 54 and a half huge movement. We'll ultimately see if someone's going to get an opportunity to come back now on the under like Corey and get the other side. All right, Corey, I know that you did a really good piece and it's coming out talking about everyone with NBC sports edge, talking about their college football title picks. And for that, I'd like you to give a little insight on where who we work with and where people are laying their money in the futures market for the college football picks this season. Well, we almost got everybody, but, you know, shout out to everybody who could participate. I'm teasing. But no, you know, listen, we got some real sharp people uh, working on this staff. Mm -hmm. And as the and as the pick started to come in, I, I noticed it was one team over and over again. And it was the Oklahoma Sooners, including myself, guys like Thor, uh, Vaughn Darzell. You know what I'm saying? Um, all on the Oklahoma Sooners this year, Eric Froton, you know I mean? Everybody that we have on staff that really is sharp and does a good amount of college football betting on the Sooners this year, that number has already seen in the last 10 days or so has gone down from plus 750 to plus 600 on points bet. You're looking at a team with the, you know, the, the, the leading truck, the leading candidate for the Heisman Trophy Award, mm -hmm. not to mention the fact, you know, that defense is real stout this year. They're playing in the Big 12, but they have an SEC-style defense. So um, out of the seven people that we have in, you know, basically in, 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 you know, making the staff prediction, five of us were on the Oklahoma Sooners to win the national ah. this year. The other two were on the Clemson Tigers. So if you look at the sports bed, you know, the, the, the edge staff, and you think we're sharp, obviously you must if, you, if you're listening to this podcast. We are on the Oklahoma Sooners pretty heavy. Boomer Sooners, yeah. Did, uh, I, and I, you know, we've talked to a bunch of these folks over the course of the uh, offseason, and I think a lot of them have gotten, to be fair, a lot of them have gotten better numbers than 6-1. to one. Yes, um, yes. But I completely understand the case. Like, yeah, I think you laid it out. Uh, they're in a relatively weak conference. They have, uh, you know, strength and depth on both sides of the football. They have the Heisman Trophy favorite. Uh, basically, the likelihood that they are in the mix at the end of this season is very high on top of the fact that they match up pretty well against some of these other contenders. And they have the experience at the quarterback position, too, where you see where the Alabama and yes. Clemson are going to Absolutely. new quarterbacks this year. Absolutely. And, I, you know, if I, I did not make a pick because I don't really know college football well enough. Drew, at all. He, was, he was calling you and I out right I now. Know, well, we, I, we would have, I'm an NFL I team. I kid, I kid. I know you guys are very good. Um, but if, if, you want, if you want to put me on the record, if you want me to tell you which of these prices that you're seeing right now on the screen is wrong, it's the Texas A&M price. 33 to 1. They're, they're the fifth team that I think has a chance. I really, really, if you want to know, this is a weird market. The college football national title, there's really only five teams that have a chance. It's Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Everyone knows that. 
But I do think Texas A&M can snipe Alabama for the SEC this year, which would put them in this conversation. And actually, that'll make it an interesting who gets left out at the end of the year, too, because Alabama will probably get some consideration over the likes of a one-loss Clemson or Ohio State if either of those teams loses a game. So if you made me put put my feet to the fire with the current prices, I would I would take Texas A&M at 30. Well, that's good. I think now, be what we can do now, Drew, is now we have your pick. Now we can get <laughs> and then we can clip this and put it out there. You see and we 40 have the to whole one. You see 40 to one on my alma mater, Florida. No, I'm not backing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love your look on Texas A&M at 33 to one in Oklahoma. If their defense is as good as a lot of the analysts that we work with and handicap college football, like you say, Corey, that's my only question here. We know what they're offering offense is going to look like but they can get it together six to one a little bit shorter than quite a few weeks ago but I still like Oklahoma I'd like to see anyone but Alabama or Clemson how about that there's my pick Corey as always we love having you on if you don't already follow Corey on Twitter at the fantasy exec tons of content handicapping everything on our site there be sure to follow him and check out his work Corey we will talk to you very soon Good times. I'll talk to y'all next week. Got even more college football and the NFL is right around the corner. How about them Cowboys? (laughs) Wearing a Yankees hat and rooting for the Cowboys. I'll just leave it there. (laughs) All right. I'm kidding, Corey. For the first time in history, the two biggest sporting events on the planet unite with the Super Bowl and the Winter Olympics on NBC this February. Go to NBCSports.com slash once in a lifetime for a chance to win a once in a lifetime VIP experience of your choice. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. 18 plus to enter. Ends February 4th. Subject to official rules. Spent a lot of time talking about the Seahawks today in the NFC West and probably the best division, if not second best, in all of football. This is going to be a really competitive division. Three teams at the top. I could make a case for the Niners, the Seahawks, and the Rams to win this division. I like the Hawks. I like the Hawks. But you have a different play that's super intriguing. So let's hear your alternate win total for today. Yeah, so you can play the uh, Seattle Seahawks to win the NFC West at plus 275, or you could bet them to win over 11 games at plus 225. I do not know how they are winning the NFC West if they are not winning over 11 games. And in fact, it is entirely possible that they lose the NFC West with 12 wins. I can, this is, this is a wild misprice in my opinion. I think Seattle over 11 wins plus 225, one of my favorite alt wins on the board. And you know, our, our excellent guest there, uh, uh, Michael Sean, he hit some absolutely key points that I think were, were worth circling back on. Number one, there is more motion in this offense in specifically what they're doing with DK Metcalf, where he is de- where he is being deployed. That is going to be a nightmare for teams to defend. I loved hearing that. Uh, and secondly, the, uh, the, if we look at the schedule specifically for the Seahawks, there are two very important games I want to highlight. Week five, the Seahawks host the Rams in primetime you know, with the crowd back in Seattle with the 12s, one of the best uh, home is, field advantages, one of the best mentioning. home field advantages yeah. in all of the NFL. Uh, and, uh, and Oh, by the way, week 13, again, in prime time at home against the Niners. So you get your two biggest competitors in division at home in prime time with the 12s, with the home field advantage, getting you across the line. That is that is exactly what I want to see if I'm backing a team to surprise to the upside. Uh, and uh, beyond that, there's just really not a lot of spots on the schedule that I'm especially concerned about. Uh, you know, some of the disadvantaged spots are against teams that I think they are clearly better than. Uh, and really, as you look after that Green Bay game, 
things get really soft for these guys. Uh, you know, the one, you know, the at the Rams week 15 is your really your only tough test over the last half of the season. I think the Seahawks get to 12 wins comfortably. Uh, and the fact that you're getting it for plus 225 is, uh, you know, this is one that I think the market is sleeping on. These Seahawks and Russell Wilson in general, uh, all they do is win double digit games. All they do is win close games. All they do is win games in primetime, five games in primetime this season. Uh, just everything stacking up for this team to be uh, in the mix for the NFC uh, title, in my opinion. Drew, I've loved all your alternate win totals. This right here is my favorite. Had 12 wins last season, and I butchered this a little bit as we were talking to Michael Sean, but with Russell Wilson at quarterback, Seattle has won double digits in eight of his nine seasons. Um, I think they get over 11 wins this season at plus 225. What an awesome price for an underrated team because people are so high on the Rams, which I know you were not as high on them as we broke down earlier in the show. If you're listening now, probably go back and listen to Drew's breakdown again on the Rams. And the Niners, of course, going to be competitive, but at home in prime time is key for those matchups. I'll give a play for the edge of the day to wrap up bad, bad beat yesterday situation with a grand slam. So we move forward and I'm trying to find value and a play that I love today. And baseball has been tough, but I go back to the well and I look at the St. Louis Cardinals drew at plus 110 on the run line versus the Pirates. And I think the Cardinals may have some momentum going. If you watched yesterday, they played the Tigers, had a walked off victory. Little bit of momentum working for them there, not to mention they have a very slim, and I mean slim chance for the wild card spot, but there's hope alive, and that means something if you want to play meaningful September baseball. And I look at Miles Mikulas, who's pitching for the Cardinals today. He's finally getting back into action. It's only his third start of the season. He was out with a forearm injury most of the season, but he did face the Pirates last week, and he did really well. He actually went five innings, allowed just two runs. That was six days ago. And then the reason I love this game so much and I'm targeting it is not only are the Cardinals playing for something, but also the Pirates have Mitch Keller on the mound. His ERA is over six this season, but he has struggled so badly at PNC Park. He's really been bad at home. His ERA is almost eight at home this season. He's facing this Cardinals team that does not strike out a bunch, which is huge. They make a lot of contact. Their offense may be quiet right now, but the thing is they do put the ball on the bat and the Cardinals are in the bottom third of strikeout rate, which is a really big advantage spot for them as I look for today. So I think they're going to take advantage of Mitch Keller today. They've been really good on the road as of late six and zero in their last six road games in the Cardinals also nine and four in their last 13 as a favorite. They lost their last series against the pirates at home in St. Louis, but if you look two weeks prior when they played in Pittsburgh against the Pirates, they swept the Pirates back August 10th. So I'll take plus money. I will take the Cardinals to get things done and keep their playoff chances alive against the rebuilding Pittsburgh Pirates today. Fantastic. I have, that is a very solid handicap. I would back um, I would back the Cardinals even if they had, uh, you know, one of these Little League World Series pitchers thrown today. So uh, this that's how little I think of this Pirates team. And uh, yeah, Mik- yeah, Mikolas, he's uh, absolutely should Mikolas be. Mikolas uh, can get it yeah, done. Absolutely solid. Or- and hey, you're, you're laying the run line with the with the road team. That's the magic. That's the magic recipe if you're going to go there. We're going to hope to get it done and get a win today. If not, the alternate win totals have been breaking down spectacularly all week. So go back and listen to those and look for those if you haven't. We will be back here tomorrow on our NBC Sports Edge YouTube channel. Thank you so much for joining us here. If you are listening, don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast. We really appreciate that. And of course, go to NBCSportsEdge.com. Drew mentioned earlier, especially for fantasy football drafting advice and projections there. You definitely want to go to our site and look into that. Thanks so much for joining us today for Drew Dinsick. I am Sarah Perlman, and we will see you right back here tomorrow. Good luck with all of your plays for today and tonight.